morning again. Our passage is in the book of Colossians. Uh, Lee read it for us earlier, but let's read it again together. This is part of our One Another series through the summer where we're looking at particular passages through the New Testament where uh, the writers of these epistles are instructing the church of God on how they are to live together in community. Uh, and we're, we're calling these uh, community-cultivating virtues. Today, we're, we're, it's more abstract. We're, we're focusing on, in on this command not to lie to one another. But in the positive sense, what does that mean? To keep our word, to be truth-tellers, to make and to keep our promises. So, please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk with your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in knowledge after the image of its creator this is the word of the lord let's pray father in heaven lord as we come to you uh, i i ask holy spirit that you would speak speak to our hearts where we are provide what we need to hear the challenge the comfort the affirmation uh, the encouragement. For we ask it for our good and in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the, as I've reflected on this last year and as we are preaching this, this summer, thinking about coming out of quarantine, coming out of the isolation and the separation of COVID quarantine, we're talking about rebuilding, revitalizing, reconnecting as a community. Uh, and this resource I found incredibly helpful. I mentioned it last week, and I wanted to show you guys this week. Living into Community by Christine Pohl. She notes four different practices or virtues that help to build and maintain healthy community. And, and we're looking at one of those virtues this morning, which is making and keeping our promises. Now, I think where we feel this in our bones is in the incredible amount of change and transition many of us have seen and experienced around us during this last year. I've mentioned this multiple times, but whatever the, it was about COVID, a lot of us, all of us in some ways, reevaluated things in our lives, where we work, where we go to church, where we live. We've seen people, I've seen news articles, people are leaving jobs in droves. People are leaving churches in droves. I got an email this week uh, from a, a pastor who said he thinks 20 to 30 percent of every church, uh, 20 to 30 percent of members at every church have left to go to no church or to move on to a different church. Uh, we have neighbors and friends and business, small business owners in our neighborhood who've moved away and who made those choices because of the things that have happened in this last year. Now, I want to be clear, moving from one church to another, retiring, moving houses, these are not necessarily sins. These choices can be made for good reasons and for bad. But I think this, the, the high amount of change that we're experiencing 
highlights the instability that that, that type of change brings in our lives and, and the importance and stability that making and keeping promises, being reliable, dependable, uh, keeping our promises, these are foundational virtues for strong community. So I want to ask three questions. These are the three points of our, of our homily today uh, in light of this. Why are promises so important to the people of God? How are our failures to keep and honor our promises, how does that harm our community? And how can we begin to practice making and keeping promises in a healthy way? Let's think about this together. Why are promises so important to the people of God? Well, if you think about it, all human relationships are built on promises. Imagine a world where no one kept their word, (laughs) right? Banks didn't honor uh, your financial agreements. People said, yes, I'll be there, or yes, I'll do this for you, or whatever, and, and it, was just, it was just a shot in the dark whether or not people would keep their words. Nothing, literally nothing could be done. Nothing would be, could be depended on. And the reason that making and keeping these promises is so important is because it reflects the character of God. God has interwoven truth-telling into the creation, into the creation order, into humanity itself. He wants his creation to reflect his character. What's amazing is that God is, has created things in such a way where not keeping your word, where breaking promises is possible. This is why keep breaking promises is at the heart and root of sin. But one of the reasons we most praise God, one of the reasons the scriptures most tell us to praise God is because of his faithfulness to his people. Listen to this passage in Exodus chapter 34. This is when Moses asked to see the glory of God. God passed in front of Moses. He placed him in that cleft in the rock to protect him. And the the Lord declared this to Moses as he did. He said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin to the third and fourth generation. This is God declaring his, his nature, his, his personhood. <laughs> How does he want to be known? One of the main qualities of God is that he is faithful, generation to generation. He is faithful to his people. He keeps steadfast love. And we praise God because we know that as human beings, as fallen, sinful human beings, we often don't keep our promises to one another or to God. And so even when we fail to keep our promises, God is faithful. This is grace, right? We don't deserve God's faithfulness. And yet he makes these covenants, these promises to us, so it's that we can rest in God's faithful character even when we are not. In fact, the Christian faith is rooted in promises, right? We as Christians understand ourselves to be people of the new covenant, the new promise. And so we are the people of 
the promise. We are defined by God's promises. In fact, you can, you can see the whole arc of the Bible from Genesis chapter 3. After our first parents defied God and sin entered into the world, God made this incredible promise to crush the head of the serpent. That promise was fulfilled thousands of years later in the death of the Messiah on the cross. Our God is a God who makes and keeps his promises. And so now we as his people, we can rest in his promises for our future because in the past we've seen how he can keep his promises to his unfaithful people from generation to generation for hundreds and thousands of years. And so when God makes promises to us never to leave us, never to forsake us, that one day we will be with him fully resurrected and redeemed in the new heavens and the new earth, we rest on the rock that is the promises of God. And so, faithfulness to our promises becomes fundamental to who we are. Similar to the concept of forgiveness, Paul often says we are, we are to forgive just as we have been forgiven. We're not to lie just as God has never lied to us. And so not only are we people of the promise, of God's promise, we are to be people who make and keep our promises. Here's what one theologian, uh, Lewis Smead, said. He said, if you have a ship that you will not desert, if you have people you will not forsake, if you have causes you will not abandon, then you are like God. (laughs) When we make and keep promises... We are like God. Making and keeping our promises both reflect the character of God and it creates the necessary structures for community to thrive. It creates that safe place where people can trust one another and even engage in conflict in a safe context. All right, that's why promises are so important to the community of faith. But how does our failure to keep and honor our promises harm community? Well, you guys could probably tell me just as easily as I can tell you, but let's, let's walk through it. And, and first of all, we see it all around us, don't we? We see people making and breaking promises. In our consumer culture, we see it in advertising all the time, right? How many of us, we just know, we've been trained since childhood, that the promises made by, by certain companies about certain products were like, all right, well, it's probably not the best soap ever created in human history. It probably won't clean every dish I put in the sink for two hours, but it's, it probably cleans dishes. I'll buy that. How many of us have heard promises from politicians and people in power that just, he, you, you know that it's impossible. <laughs> You're making a promise so that people will vote for you, but I know sitting here right now, It's literally impossible for you to keep that promise. But politicians feel like they have to make these promises to to rile up the crowd, to get their votes, to make everybody happy. Our very culture undermines the goodness of making, keeping, and honoring promises. And even in the smallest ways, as I was thinking about this sermon, I thought about, now I'm, I'm big into technology, but I know all of us experience this. If you have a smartphone or go on the internet, how many times have you, have you downloaded an app or gone to a web page and you want to do something and it's like, well, read this 13-page end user agreement. 
and then click this button at the bottom saying, I agree. Anybody ever done that? Everybody reads those, right? Sometimes my, my conscience, you know, gets pricked, and I'm like, I'm going to read this stupid thing. And like 10 minutes in, I'm asleep. My, I've got a headache. I can't, you know, this legal jargon. I'm like, what does this even say? Of course I agree. Just let me watch this movie. <laughs> right. It's, it's as if our culture has, has simply undercut truthfulness and the making and keeping of promises. But here's the rub. Not only does our culture work against us, but when we make promises, when we take vows or oaths or contracts, it's, it can be hard. What if you find yourself in a loveless marriage? What if you find yourself in conflict within a church community? What if you find yourself in a difficult financial position and it's going to hurt to pay back this company rather than, ah, just declare bankruptcy. Making and keeping our promises is hard, difficult at times. But in fact, these are the things that Scripture honors. The people who make and keep their promises are honored by God. Listen to Psalm 15. It, asks, it begins with this question, who shall dwell on God's holy hill, right? Who is, who is someone who can go to heaven in a sense? What is a righteous person, Psalm 15 asks. And it goes on to answer, the one who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in their heart, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. One who makes a promise, who swears, according to Psalm 15, and yet because of that, swearing because of that promise will incur pain or discomfort and yet keeps that promise that is a righteous person it is one whom the lord loves and honors and it is who he wants us to be we live in a world that fights against that we'll talk more about that in a minute but why why does god honor this type of person? Why does God want us to be this way? Because that's exactly who he is. <laughs> that's exactly what he has done. He has promised, he promised to be faithful to the Israelites. If you're familiar with the, the story of God's people in the Old Testament, it's a story of repeated failure, the repeated failure of God's people to remain faithful to God. And yet again and again, God remains faithful to them. The whole book of Hosea is about this. He commands a prophet to marry a woman he knows will be unfaithful to him as, as, a, as a divine, dramatic event to reflect what his relationship with Israel has been, has been like. But nowhere is this truth more visible than in Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior, who willingly went to the cross to die for our sins and our unfaithfulness. The only way God could ultimately remain faithful and remain in relationship with an unfaithful people was to take our sins on himself. He was so faithful, he was willing to die for our sins. Our God is a God who keeps his promises even to his hurt. He was willing to suffer incredible loss to keep his promise of love for us. And it is why, again, we worship him and adore him. He is not like us. And yes, 
as hard as we try, we will, we will never be perfect. We'll never be that perfect person. And yet, God calls us through the power of the Holy Spirit to seek to be people of our word. Because it is, it is on God's perfect and reliable word. That is the rock of our salvation upon which we build our lives. And so it is the rock on which we want to build a healthy community in this place as the church. So how can we begin to do that? This is a quote from Christine Pohl in her book. She says, recognizing the importance of fidelity and promises in our lives, it helps us to resist some of the cultural pressures that undermine our commitment. So I want to name three things quickly that tend to undermine our promise-making and keeping and and ways that we can fight against those and resist them. So first is to resist our culture of easy mobility. Now, now our mobility is is incredible. I don't want to to, uh, decry technology and where it's gotten us. It's amazing that I can pick up my phone right now and within 10 seconds I could be talking to someone in Australia, right? Technology is incredible. And yet, the mobility and the freedom that it gives us and the individualness of our culture tends to uh, make us want to live our own lives. And when promises or vows become difficult, we would rather break those than encumber ourselves. We love freedom and choice. Paul continues. She says, Commitment to a place and a people means that relationships can be formed that are able to withstand trials and disagreements. But often people move in and out of congregations and communities before deep roots are established. What I read in this quote is that all of us, don't we all long to be in a community where, where truth is honored, where we are really known, where we know other people. Remember the theme song to Cheers? We talked about that last week. We all want to be in a place where everybody knows our name, where everybody's glad when we're here. But to build that kind of community, we need to be people who are committed to a place and to people so that we can work through the hardships that require that. Otherwise, we, we remain surface level, not really knowing and not really being known And at any moment, we can move on. But this, in fact, this is why we take vows, right? I mean, wedding vows are probably the easiest one. We vow to one another before God that we will be with and for one another in plenty and in once, in good times and in bad. Why? Why do we have to vow? Because we don't want to stay when it's hard. When you're so incredibly Annoying when you keep squeezing the toothpaste from the center of the tube. I mean, how many times do we have to talk about that? <laughs> but it is our it is the safety and security of making that vow. If if my spouse knows, no matter how hard things get, I will not leave, then we have the context to work it out with a counselor, within community, however. But if there is a risk that you're about to cut and run, then, then I don't have a lot of incentive. I don't have a lot of trust. I don't have a lot of safety to stay. Writing 10 years ago, this book, Pull, she, uh, she wrote something very relevant that I, that I resonated with 
that I see in the church going on through the time of COVID. Listen to what she says about mobility in times of crisis. She says, our mobility can also heighten other community problems. She said, the possibility that people will leave during a crisis further destabilizes an unstable situation. When communities face severe disagreements or internal tensions, members sometimes threaten to leave if the other side doesn't get its act together. Even when those suggesting they'll leave are interpreting the problems correctly, this is a very problematic threat. It further heightens the emotional tension and fear of loss and proves to be very difficult, a very difficult threat to undo. She says, it is often much better to stay long enough to help with rebuilding and healing. Brothers and sisters, we have been in a crisis individually, in each of our own lives, as a person, as families, in our school systems, in our church communities. I was talking with someone about this last week. We all go through hardship, but rarely have we all been going through a crisis together, individually and corporately. And so it, it has made a difficult, unstable situation even worse when we have not committed to one another to make it through a difficult situation. Second, we can recognize, this, uh, how can we fight for uh, uh, keeping promises? We can recognize that difficulty and suffering are not always to be avoided, but can be a fellowship in Christ's sufferings. This is a phrase I feel like I've come to understand far better in the last 12 months, and that is very difficult for us to understand. But the Apostle Paul actually speaks to his own experience and he encourages the church that our suffering is actually a a fellowship in the sufferings that Christ has suffered. That yes, we have received the benefits that come from Christ's suffering, our salvation and forgiveness of sin. But with that, we are called into a willingness to suffer with Christ because of the benefits that come out of that place. Now, I attribute some of this to uh, the gains we've gotten in psychology. I won't go too far down this rabbit trail, but we've gotten a lot of of great insights over the last couple hundred years from the realm of psychology, but there's also been downsides. We have a label for everything, don't we? Difficult situations, difficult people. Well, that's a toxic relationship. That's a toxic person. That person's a narcissist. Now, Those things may be true, but who in their right mind wants to remain in a toxic relationship? Not me. But it's also true that God sometimes puts difficult people in our lives, puts us in relationship with difficult people as as agents of sanctification for us and of means of reflecting God's faithfulness to others and the world. Now, if you're in an abusive, if you're actually in a toxic relationship, however you specifically define that appropriately, yes, you shouldn't stay in a place necessarily where you're, where you're being harmed. But our culture tends to label anything that is painful or difficult as something to flee from. And I, that is not a Christian ideal. All right, third and, and finally... Paul suggests that uh, taking a vow of stability can help work through hard things and give time to build uh, healthy community. She mentions this earlier, 
uh, in that longer quote. But she says this, uh, monks and, and nuns who, who gather together in, in monasteries, they often take a vow of stability. And she says this is something that we can learn, that unless God is at work in our lives and he has every freedom to move us for whatever reason he has, but unless we sense the Lord actually moving us from one place to another, it is right and good for us to take a vow of stability, that I will stay. I will stay in this community. I will stay in this place. I will be a a person of stability to help the community move through difficult things. Promising to be with a person or a community through thick and thin makes us like God. And it is in those places where God promises to work. It has been my experience and in many of your experiences that it's through the, the most painful and most difficult situations when we choose to stay, to wait on the Lord and to connect our heart to his where he does his deepest and most beautiful work. Brothers and sisters, making and keeping promises is a community cultivating virtue that our culture fights desperately against. Let us be who we are, the people of promise. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, these are hard things, uh, things we have not been trained up in, things that we have not learned, and yet you call us to them. Would you teach us, Father? Would you make us a people of promise, a people of our word. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.